All right. So I, I wanted, I, I, there's just a couple of things I, I wanted to bring out. And part of this all ties together with, and I said we would be revisiting uh, um, verse uh, 26 uh, and verse 27 again today. Um, in verse 26, it says, and uh, I got to find it here. There we go. If anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. All right, I wanted to just talk for just a little bit about this idea, again, more uh, on the idea of uh, pure religion. Um, I'm reminded of the passage in 1 Samuel where... Um, Saul has, has uh, fought against uh, uh, a nation, has won. He was commanded by God to put the sword, everyone that was in that nation. Uh, he was also commanded to, to not take any of the offerings, any of the, 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 uh, the cattle, the herds, any of that, because uh, it was supposed to be an offering to the Lord. It was kind of a an all-encompassing offering uh, that would uh, wipe the, the area clean of the, the, the pollution of uh, the false religions that they were practicing and the false practices they had. Samuel is, doesn't arrive before the battle. He arrives after the battle. Israel is coming back, and they're enjoying the fact that they've had just a great experience. God's given them victory. And Samuel comes up and he goes, whoa, wait a second. What is that lowing I hear? Why are there cattle? Well, why is the king still of this, this other nation still alive? And of course, you know, Saul has all kinds of excuses. The one thing, you know, we saved the best for last because we're going to sacrifice that to God. Missing totally the point that it was all supposed to be sacrificed to God. That's why it was all to be put to death. All of the cattle, all of the, the herds, everything. So Samuel says this, which I think is just amazing. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? What a great question. How often do we do stuff and whitewash it with the idea that we're doing it for God. You know, that's why we're doing it. And he goes on to say this, he says, is to obey is better than sacrifice. He's talking about spiritually, the type of sacrifice God wants is obedience. Uh, arguing, he's arguing that the actual worth of worship uh, was contingent upon our moral behavior. Boy, that that goes flies right against you know all the stuff you know. You know, people sometimes think that if they give to the church, they'll they'll win some brownie points. You know, uh, I might be a, a a person of of low moral character outside the church, but in the church, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna pay for a new rope. And that's going to make me good. That, that's going to earn me brownie points for God. And God says, no, it's not. 
he goes on to talk about the fact that living a life of injustice is one that is that lacks compassion and that therefore makes our worship worthless. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 14, 31, it says, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whosoever is kind to the needy honors God. Wow. We get a chance to do that in just a little bit here when we're going to be, uh, some of us are going to be meeting up at Panera and, and going, uh, giving Gary a bunch of stuff to give to the homeless. We're going to show that we're, uh, we're compassionate. And that we that we are uh, honoring God by taking care of the needy. It's interesting. In, the, in I, we talked about this. I think it was uh, on Thursdays a couple of years ago. We did a book called Generous Justice. Yeah, Tim Keller. Keller. Mm -hmm. And in that book, we talk about two specific Hebrew words that seem to be uh, juxtaposed all the time in Scripture especially in the Old Testament, it's it, the idea of justice and righteousness must be combined. Um, both uh, uh, Amos, uh, Amos says, this is one that I always love, Amos 5.24 says, let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. That's called parallelism in, in Hebrew poetry. It's, it's set up that the two are, are co-equal. They relate to each other, and and so uh, there uh, there's an importance that we do that, and and the the idea of this is the first word uh, is um, it talks about um, uh, justice is uh, mispet, uh, and it has this idea of uh, rule or judge uh, to warn to deliver to vindicate. It's used to uh, talking about restoring the condition of harmony, of wholeness, of equality. Uh, it, it's actually what it, it, it's almost synonymous. It could possibly be used as a synonym for another Hebrew word that we know that's called shalom. This completeness, this everything being right, both not only just between me and God, but uh, between my peers, uh, physically, spiritually, everything is, is at peace and, is, and, and is, is working the way it should. The second word uh, uh, is uh, sedicu, I guess. Uh, and it, con it, it conveys the notion of uh, right order in general of, of uh, God, uh, a right order for God or, or justice. It's it, it, these two are con connected in some, some unusual way that just listen to this in, in Psalm 97 verse two, it says this clouds and thick darkness surround him re referring to God, the father righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In Psalm 99 verse four, it says, this, it says, the king is mighty, referring to, again, not only just the physical king, but the spiritual king, the king over all of Israel, which would be the Lord. He loves justice, and you have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right, righteous and justice. Well, you know, Jeremiah, the, go ahead. What, when you talked about 
you know, practicing, you know, giving and, and doing it, you know, between, between you and God and not in front of others. And that, you know, goes to Matthew six mm-hmm. and, you know, the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, that you're, if you do it in front of others for, for their praise, then you've received your reward already and you're not going to receive it from God. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And it starts out with, you know, you talk about pure religion and, you know, it starts out, be, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and vice yep. versa. Right? Yep. And yet I'm, I'm, it is so tempting to want to get an attaboy from those around us, you know? Oh, look what I did. You know, well, I and that's, and, and then 27 talks about that, you know, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, oh, I guess it could be a fine line between uh, doing things to seek the approval of others and then trying to be the, what did Jesus say? The, the light on the hill, trying to be a good example of uh, following God's way. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a balance here, isn't there? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I, another passage I like is uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. <clears throat> I'm surprised I haven't been uh, heckled about doing a, a study of Jeremiah. In verse 23 and 24, it says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who executes kindness, justice, righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. Huh. God tells Moses to make sure that he chooses good men to set up and trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. It's important that we do that. It's important that we choose good people. You sometimes wonder, is, is character important when we vote for a politician? Well, I'm going to tell you this. You don't have to answer. I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so often the problem is we choose the one that we like the, mo- the most. Either he looks good, says the things we want to say, he's going to take care of our projects. Uh, we have no concern about their moral character. And, and it's, it's, it's disheartening to see what's happening in our country. So yeah, that uh, that character thing when you when you're talking about leaders, uh, that will really come through when the unexpected event hits, things you haven't even contemplated when you're voting. Well, I'm reminded of. Uh, <laughs> And I, I guess he, he's far enough removed that I can I can talk about him and the, and, and it won't be considered a, uh, ill will on my part. Uh, Clinton was when he was being uh, voted on the, the Whitewater scandal came out early on, and sixty uh, percent of the people said that character didn't matter. 
<laughs> and so, you know, you vote for people based upon what you think is, is what you want versus what is their character. Because at least if the character is right, you know that they're going to do the right thing for hopefully the right reasons. And to All be right. fair, to be fair, Trump is very similar to that. His his he's not a really nice guy. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> but he, and so but we were happy with what he did. Some of us did, but so both guys are are kind of the same. Yeah, both have both are suspiciously lacking in moral character. Now, Absolutely. supposedly, you know, we thought that both of them were believers, and and you know, I don't. I'm not going to judge whether they are or aren't. It's not my responsibility to do that. But I'm sure glad that I, I only have to answer for my own actions. And I don't have to answer for everyone else's because there's some people I don't want to have to answer for their actions. See, I always thought politics was the ability to hide your character. Oh, that must be true. All right. Uh, I want to move. I want to move quickly from this subject uh, because I want to talk about impertinent speech, and I'm afraid we'll if we go too far down that road, we're going to have some very impertinent speeches happening. That's right. Um, well, you know, be, before you before you leave that topic, it, it, <laughs> about speech. I mean, I know that I know there's a number of people here probably that did not watch the Oscars because of the. Uh, how political it's it's become, but I, I would encourage everyone to uh, you can find it on the internet. It's Tyler Perry speech during the Oscar. Uh, he got the humanitarian award. Uh, you know he's you know, we all know him from Medea. Yeah. You know, not that I ever really watched much of it, but uh, he does he's a uh, does unbelievable stuff for 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 people down in the Atlanta area. Uh, but he gave a speech and he talked about hate and, you know, and that there's just so much hate and we, you know, he, he's, he says, you know, we need to, we need to get away from hate and, you know, and that means we need to go to love. But then he, at the end, the one thing that he said that I guess it sort of, at least I, the way I heard it was, uh, that sort of goes to politics. He said, things only get done in the middle. And I think that is so true because when you, you know, and that's why we're so divided because, you know, it's gotta be my way or the highway. And, yeah, uh, it was uh, Ronald Reagan that said a half of a loaf is better than no loaf. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some definite. I heard definite truth in that on the, on the Christians couple of the Christian stations were playing that uh, uh, part of that speech from uh, Tyler Perry. It was very good. Yeah, you can, you can, like I said, you can go online. I, I Googled it and you can see it. It's, it's just, mm -hmm. a, you know, it's like four minutes or something, but. Good. Uh, yeah, they, they did just that cut. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just not the whole thing, not the whole Oscars, but just that, just his. Just that four minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, so let's get back to intemperate speech. You know, it talks about we need to uh, protect the dignity of the poor by giving materially and giving generously, but he also talks about us protecting the dignity of others in the realms of, shall we say, public and private, 
uh, let's call it discourse. Um, I think he, he includes in that the idea of, of impassioned, uh, spontaneous utterances that we sometimes say, as well as calculated impertinent speech, uh, like, oh, I don't know, say gossip. You know, words have great power to heal and they have great power to wound. Um, you know, we used to say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not really true. You know, think about what happens, especially with our, if we've had kids or we've had uh, uh, grandkids and, and we know how easily they're wounded uh, by things that we've said. And gossip, as you know, can have major, major tragic consequences. We've heard, we've all seen or heard stories of young people who were you know, uh, things were said on social media that ended up being so bad for this young person that they would take their life as a result of what others were saying. Um, it's tough. And, and, and there's probably nothing that can destroy a church faster than gossip. And, and especially when it comes to uh, uh, a short period of time. You know, so often um, we need we need to we need to figure out ways of letting the light in on issues that are problems, so that we are aware of that. But there are also times we need to try to spare the person who has sinned to some degree. It isn't that we sweep it under the carpet, but we only give as much information as is necessary. And sometimes we want more. You know, we demand that. Well, I need to know everything they did. Well, no, you don't. Not really. So you can destroy, you know, it's bad enough. When, when a man falls in, in, into sin and, and or a person, as the case may be, who is a, a, on staff, um, man, you know, if they have a moral failing, it's devastating to them. And sometimes it, it can be devastating to the congregation, but it's better to let some of that light in than sweep it totally under the carpet. But the problem is so often we want to go through all the, we want to know all the gritty details. And when we do that, we are really starting to cause problems. And sometimes we get, if you ever wonder, when is righteous anger justified? When is it right for me to get angry about something? And, and I, I spent some time thinking about this and digging around, and, and I think I have some, some insight. I'm, I'm not sure that I have it totally figured out yet, but I, I wanted to share with you some of the stuff that I've kind of cropped up. I think that our world is awash in injustice. There's no denying that. I mean, all we have to see is what's been happening over the last year or two here in America. And, and it isn't like it's new. Our African-American brothers and sisters have known about this way longer than some of us have just suddenly joined the party. And I'm sure they're trying to, they're saying, well, it's about time. But we have people, we have groups that are, that uh, besides them that have faced uh, disenfranchisement uh, Asians have had problems in, in certainly more recently 
we had a, an Asian problem, a, a gentleman that was beaten a number of years ago, remember, because he was an Asian. I was down in Detroit. I forget the exact all the particulars of, of the, of the uh, situation. But we, it isn't just that. We, we, we tend to disenfranchise people who are, oh, I don't know. How about homosexuals? How about pro-life groups being um, disenfranchised? What about pro-choice groups being disenfranchised? What about AIDS patients? What about marijuana smokers? What about the gun control lobby? What about gun rights lobbies? What about smokers' rights? What about women, minorities? How about even white males? Each of these at one time or another has felt themselves worthy of displaying righteous indignation for what's been going on for them. Some of us have joined the, 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 the fray for them, whoever them is. James tells us to be very slow and deliberate in our approach. When is righteous anger justified? Well, as I've searched scripture, here's what I've come to. to uh, there's about three or four factors. I think the first thing I look at is I look at, let's look at biblical patterns of righteous anger. I'll give you an example, Amos. We've already talked about Amos once. Bring him up again. Here's Amos in chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Here is, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount, uh, Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks. And the last of you with fish hooks, you will each go straight out through the breaks in the wall. Amos, in his righteous anger of declaring God's judgment, was waiting to fall on the unfeeling rich who had their backs on the poor and standing on top of them, weighing them down, who had no, uh, by their inaction, were crushing the very needy that needed it the most. And yet, how do we reconcile that and some of the other passages in the Old Testament with what James tells us about avoiding the presumption of righteous anger? Uh, and I have a couple of thoughts. That's why I'm trying to head to. First, first thought is this. The prophets that declared the righteous anger, they were called. They were called by God. Many of them, if not most of them, initially resisted the call of God. They didn't just grab the banner and run with it. They really didn't want to do it. In contrast with James, James seems to be speaking about our desire to vent our own uh, predilections to glory, our own self-righteous anger that we have, you know, because, you know, they've done this wrong. There's a problem. You know. Uh, about uh, Jesus clearing the money changers from the temple, that uh, looked like a, a display of anger, Correct. Yes. What, what kind of anger? What was he angry about? Well, treating God's temple as a place to cheat people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So righteous anger is okay as long as it's done with, in the right context, in the right way. And I think what James is talking about here and what I'm talking about is our need to think through and versus just react. My first reaction, you know, when someone attacks me is to attack them back. 
my first reaction is to is to go on the offensive. And sometimes God says, maybe I need to think about this. And, and we still and we still might get it wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, very possible. Now here's here's where it gets messy. What do you think of the Jewish religious leaders that were responsible for the death, the crucifixion of Jesus? I know we think they were acting just selfishly, but do you think a portion of them uh, were doing what they thought was right because they truly believed Jesus was a um, uh, violating God's law. He was uh, guilty of blasphemy. As, as they as they understood it, yes. Yeah. I think some of them did. I think Maybe some that's why were. from the cross he said forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you think about it, there's always a, a point where all of us forget where we came from. Yes. And most more often than not, when we're um, indignant about something or have righteous indignation, we've forgotten the sins that we've committed. And that may have been in the very same vein in which we are now righteously indignant about. And yeah, we, uh, <laughs> yeah you know, it, it reminds me of, the, of the, the story that Jesus tells about the servant who owes his master an exorbitant amount of money. And I mean, we're talking millions, probably millions of dollars in today's economy. And the master forgives this man of this huge debt only to have the man then go out and find someone who owes him like, you know, 50 bucks. And he's willing to throw him into debtor's prison because he doesn't pay up. Yeah. We, we forget our own sin when we see someone else has violated us. And, and that, that we're just as guilty, maybe worse than they were. Yeah, you're right, James. I think it's Matthew, I want to say 19, but I might be wrong. I think I've got it in my notes here someplace. I think one of the things that we, that we need to do when we have this situation is, there's a guy by the name of Walter uh, Bergman, who is a, a wonderful writer in uh, of Old Testament studies. And he has a... Uh, a book called The Pro Prophetic Imagination. And uh, he says that in his book, he points out that the prophets do more than just criticize. The prophets also energize by offering an alternative vision that is marked by biblical hope. When we criticize, we need to also figure out ways of how do we fix it and suggest ways of how to do that. The, the prophets are not only just calling down judgment, but they're also turning around saying, but if you repent, here's what you need to do to get right. And here's what will happen when you, when you, when you do that. I think the problem is that it's, this is not to say that righteous anger is not justified. I think it is, but I think it's also incumbent upon us to make sure that we curb our desire to vent and to proclaim our own rights and to, and to proclaim our right and your wrong. Sometimes, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm the first one to, to tell you this. I want to be right more than I want to have peace. No, James, refers to, <clears throat> James refers to man's anger does not mm -hmm. bring about the righteous life. So mm -hmm. anger, you know, that that is truly 
righteous, like what Christ and some of the prophets would have displayed, uh, is different. But how do you get to, how do you decide? How do you, what's that well, you got to figure out what is it that God hates and what is it that God loves? Yeah. And I think the the other, the, as I look at prophets, I look at how they dis, displayed righteous anger. One of the second factors I figured out was that prophets reserved their harshest and most strident tones for in times of eminent danger. Uh, that's when they, they spoke out. Uh, they, they, they talked about the fact that uh, uh, there's something coming and it's coming very quickly. I talked about um, in um, one of the messages I did over at Eastside was uh, uh, lessons from the clay. And in, in uh, Jeremiah 19, it, it, Jeremiah is told by God to take a pot and to smash it and to say, this is what's going to happen to the kingdom. If you don't repent, if you don't get right, you're going to be smashed. Babylon is going to come in and take over and destroy our nation. Amos had a similar thing where he says, seek good and not evil that you may live. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Huh, it sounds a lot like righteousness and justice coming together. Hmm. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. That's in Amos 5. So there's a, when things are really, when things are ready to happen, that's when you have to speak out and talk about it. The third factor I found out about is I looked at what prophets talked about. You know that they were more interested in, in directing uh, their anger towards the injustices that others were experiencing and not what they were experiencing. I'm reminded of Jeremiah again, who who ends up where? In, in a pit. In a, in a pit. He's thrown basically into jail, right? Now, this mm -hmm. is not the kind of jail that you want. Yeah. Because broken cisterns were used as garbage dumps and waste dumps in general. That's where Jeremiah gets. Jeremiah doesn't really complain a lot about that. He complains about what's happening to the people of Israel. You know, he complains bitterly to the Lord about the abusive situation he experienced at his enemies, but he never damned the false prophets in the nation of Israel for the way they were treating him. He, he, he only for their sins and their disobedience to God's law. Everything that we hear from James here is active. It's based a lot on action and what we do, yeah. what we think we should do. Verse 22, be doers of the world, the word, and not only hearers. Okay, we define ourselves religious. I'm surprised he doesn't talk about faith. Yeah, I hear you that. You know, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, uh, your life, you want to be looked upon, oh, it, it's good. It's your religiosity or it's your faith, basically. Because he makes a distinction here between the religious person and the faithful person. There's mm -hmm. a, a huge mountain in between. You know, that's why he says, <laughs> yeah. yes, do be yeah. doers of the word. Meaning, you have heard the word, you apply it to your life now, 
obey it in doing it. Okay, so here's, not, a, here's a question. Here's a question yeah. for us then. When injustice comes our way, our way personally, how should we respond? Is there a scripture that would give us a hint? <laughs> Count to 10. Uh, again, okay. That's a good start. Pray for your enemy. Pray for, pray for your enemy. Yeah. You know. What else? Who wants, who wants to pray for your enemy when some you get you get offended? Well, I want Is to pray it, for him. I just want to pray that God destroys them. But you know, I'm just well. <laughs> there is two thing. Two. There are two different things. When yeah. somebody offend me because. I'm Giuseppe. Or there's another way if somebody offended me because of my faith. Right. And, and the Sermon on the Mount talks about that. Yeah. Blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you for exactly. my sake. Yeah. For great is your reward in heaven. But I'm thinking about something that Paul says. Uh, this is where I'm headed. In 1 Corinthians. Anybody remember what he says? Talking about lawsuits. When you, when you take your brother to oh. the to the uh, tribunal, you know, settle huh? before get well, you get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, as even say something even even harder to accept because we all hate it when God hits us in the pocketbook, right? Here, listen to this in First Corinthians six verses seven and eight. The very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means that you are completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Whoa, wait a second. Why, why not rather be cheated? Whoa, hold, hold the horses there, Paul. I mean, come on. Instead, you let yourself be cheated and do wrong. You do this to your brothers. Well, Jesus said it better in the gospel. Before you get to the temple and give your offering, go recuperate your brother and recuperate yeah. yourself. He talks about that in, uh, in was it six or seven? And he talks about it again in like 18 or something like that. He talks about the fact that if you've wronged someone, you need to go and take care of it. Yeah. He also just says you. that if someone has wronged you, you're supposed to go take care of it. Guess, guess whose responsibility is when there's a problem between you and anybody? Not me. It's your problem <laughs> to go deal with it. Yeah. You don't get to put past, well, they did that. I, I'm not going to do yeah. anything until they, they come and talk to me. Well, I, I try to get, get stricken a little bit, you know. I'm better than them. But think about this. Paul tells us that it's better for us to be cheated. It's better for us to be wronged. Well, he takes it from that just a little bit, don't you? Right. He takes it from from uh, the part when they, they go to jail and they get beaten up and they get out of the temple rejoicing. Yeah, it, it, again, it's, uh, it's me thinking about Paul in, in the Philippian jail, and, and I don't know who decided it, but I can I what I picture is Paul nudging Silas. Hey, Silas, I got a great idea. What now, Paul? Let's you just sing. got me beat up. Come Let's on. Sing. <laughs> I, hey, I got this great. Let's sing. Are you out of your mind, Paul? I'm sure Silas says, you got to be crazy. What's wrong with you? 
And that's, I think, half our, our um, I won't talk to you about you guys, but half of my problem is, is that when we have this come against us, it's part of the word and we have to endure it because there's a bigger blessing on the other side. And the problem is, is my pride is in the way uh, because (laughs) I have this knowledge and this understanding and I've been trained this way and I understand it this way. And uh, God, let me add this. When God's trying to reveal his greater word within me to show me a whole different meaning and direction and a blessing that I keep refusing because I can't endure it. Sometimes. Yep. You know, and James, we talked about that in the first chapter of James, where it talks about to stay under the persecution, to stay under the trial, the tribulation, whatever it is that you're facing, because with that comes reward. God's trying to yes. teach you something in the midst of all that. And it's hard. I don't like it. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm saying that I think I'm, you know, in my example, I'm Silas too often. I'm not Paul. Let's sing. I just got beat up. Let's sing. Let's <laughs> rejoice. This is great. There's only been once or twice in my life that I can think I've actually said those words and thought to myself, you are a moron for doing that. Why would you do that? But, you know, it was, it was amazing when I did it. I actually felt pretty good about it. Hey, I got to suffer for Jesus. Great is my reward in heaven. Now, I don't have time to get into this, and we're going to run out, and I want to get on to, to next next time. I want to get on to Chapter 2. But let me just say this, that if – I wish I had time to, to, uh, to point this out um, it better. But the problem – one of the problems we run into is that we think that structural evil of society is not related to personal evil. And I'm here to tell you that Paul – Silas – Paul and Silas – James is telling us that it is. Personal evil is linked to structural evil. It's easy to proclaim that abortion is a sin until we are faced with what do we do with the unwed mother who is living in poverty and trying to raise a child because we've not helped support them. Don't kill them, or we're not going to help you. I don't think that's a valid argument. You don't think so? No, not at all. Why? Well, I don't think that's a valid argument to say uh, uh, there's there's two separate separate issues. And the valid argument against abortion is is, is, uh, not to kill them. Right, but then what do you do with the kid afterwards if the kid goes through all kinds of struggles as a result of being alive? You're building a straw man on that. You're, you're, you're making a, 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 an assumption and a, a uh, um, uh, you're just building a, building an issue that isn't necessarily there. It could well, be. And there I, are I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in churches that have said to, to girls, we don't want you to kill your baby. But after they have the baby in the church, they're treated like outcasts. The kids treated like outcasts. Well, then, then that's that's a trouble with the. So you would say, well, uh, this baby may be an outcast, so I'm going to kill it. This baby. No, may I'm be- not saying that. I'm saying that you can't. That, that what happens is it's a domino. If you if you're going to help the, the the woman, 
and say you want her, you want her to keep the baby, then you have to help her with the baby as well. Help train her, help support her is, is necessary. Or as like uh, I, I, Steve Steve Norman said in church a while back, being pro life doesn't end at birth. Yeah. If you're pro life, you're you're pro that baby when it's a fetus and also after it's born. I think the, what Dennis, I think, is trying to say, and he can correct me, is um, um, if it was done by mistake, if you will, use the word mistake, uh, if there is a repentance, not from the part of the child, the child is the consequence, uh, uh, sadly for him. The problem is if there's a systemic um, system that allows that to go on and because we are faithful to the word of God we are unwillingly forced to do the help meaning to perpetuate a style of life that's not biblical that's if I think so you know it's not the question, okay, let's help somebody need. That's natural. It's a, a natural thing to do, you know, to apply the word of God and to apply it to the fullest. The question is when nothing changes in society, that will not be a legal thing to party and whatever happens, happens. And then we start crying or whoever starts crying, expecting someone else to take care of the brunt of it. Well, I don't think that they, I don't think that's a, a situation where someone else expects someone to help take care of their child. But if you, as an organization or as a group or as a Christian, encourage people to not take a life, and I, oh, yeah. personally, I personally agree with that. But if you're going to encourage them not to take the life, you've got to help them with the life. True. Yeah, isn't that kind of what like the crisis pregnancy center is all about? It's not just about having, about saving the baby, but it's how to help the mother afterwards. We raised exactly. funds for that. We we bought mattresses and other stuff for them. We're 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 extending beyond just having just having the baby. But what? How do you help that the woman that has the child afterwards? And and I'm not just yeah. talking about it. it. Could be take any situation that we say that we take a stand against. What do we do after right. that stand? What are the, what's the next step that has to happen? So often we think, you know, we've done our job by doing one thing, but that then sometimes leads to a whole set of other things we have to look at. Harry, you said the church. You said you, you convicted the church. You said if the church is going to yeah. say don't do it, then the church needs to be on board. Yeah. Soup to nuts. Cradle to grave. Yeah. That's what the early and, that's, and I think and yeah. I think that's what Denny I, that's what Denny sort of like like said whoa 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 he pumped the brakes on, right Denny? Okay. Well, well, the, well, the other thing is, and, um, and you, you started this topic like forty five minutes too late. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I am. We have three minutes left, and we're going to have we have we have to be continued. To be continued. Oh, guys, I don't want to. I want to get on to chat too if I can. James makes James makes the point. James one talks about orphans and widows. I mean, that's the same 
thing as we're talking about here right. with the, uh, <laughs> you know, this whole situation. It, it fits into that. Yeah. You know, we, we want to narrow it to widows and orphans. Orphans, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, right. is the babies being born. Okay. And I think that's where the church has failed um, at times. Not all, not everybody. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it. Yeah. I, I, yeah I don't but they, we need to follow it. I think doing what we did, someone priced it out. Here's $100. You know how we get the match. Sure. I think that was great. I felt good about that one. You know, I don't get me wrong. I feel good about them all. But that one made I mean, here we're doing something after the fact. It's just not my words. My yeah. words are meaningless if my actions don't follow. Right. Which, by the way, we'll get into in James chapter two. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you it with my works. Well, that's Just why faith. James makes a big difference between the religious people and faith based people. Religious people, we have seen from the past what happened and happens today, too. Yeah, I don't, um, I, I'll tell you one thing. I was having this discussion with Mark that I do a Bible study every day in North Italy. And uh, uh, 120 migrants just drowned in uh, south of Sicily. Mm. Supposedly there was a Libyan Coast Guard nearby which didn't do nothing. Then, then the religious person in Rome proclaimed on Sunday that those people that were to do good, they didn't do good. And he, they can do good, is sitting in the throne in Rome. Think about it. He can just snap his finger and could send 200, 300 people to rescue these people if there is a need of rescue. And that's what uh, I think Brother James is saying. Uh, do now you can, the word you, of yeah, God. We're talking about, we're talking about uh, immigrants. We're talking about prisoners. You know, exactly. Jesus talks about the prisoner as well as the orphan. I agree. As well as the, widow, as well as the alien. There's yeah, a but, whole but, lot of people in right. this franchise. But we see, the white, be, we see the whitewash... We see the whitewashed religious people. They stand on the corner and do nothing. And James says, don't be like them. Don't be like a religious person. Pure religion is to do the will of God. And each one of us has a, is the will of God to apply it today in our Here's lives. Where I'm, I'm going to make my, uh, my final statement and, um, and we'll cut off the recording. Um, <clears throat> When I was, the way I was raised, the way I was trained in my religious background is I was not trained to take care of people. I, I was trained not to give to needs. I was trained that you give to the church and that's all you do. And as I've studied scripture, as I've, I've found out that I was, I was taught wrong. And, and I still struggle with trying to make sure that I do that um, to, to live open-handedly it's one thing to proclaim it; it's another thing to practice it and um i'm i'm still learning i'm I'm not sure i got it all right danny Uh, but i know that 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 what i've seen from the past in, in in churches that i was raised at and we did it wrong we just flat out did it wrong um 
And so I, I would, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to err on the side of trying to take care of the widows and orphans and others, at, at least to a little, at least a lot more than I have in the past over the, over the last, and I've tried been doing that for the last number of years, but I look at it and I go, there's a lot of things we need to do oh, yeah. to make sure that God's taken care of. Uh, his, I, I, and we can advance his kingdom. I, I didn't, uh, I apologize for getting um, <laughs> argumentative, so to speak. <laughs> no, you're, you know what, you're, you're certainly entitled to an opinion. You weren't argumentative at all, Danny. No, I don't think so at all. I'm, I'm very uh, passionate. Uh, I said before, I'm very passionate about it, and I've heard a lot of arguments from people that, that say, well, you know, if, you know, you got to have abortion because, you know, that, that same thing, you know, who's going to take care of them? Or, or, no, no, no. Or, I'm saying you know, the opposite. I'm saying it, it, that we, if we do that, we got to go a step further. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that. I don't think that it. And I guess I'm defending. I'll take. I'll be your <laughs> Val being <laughs> Val's defense. I think, Denny. I think that you took what Val said. Uh, uh, it wasn't what he. It wasn't the way you took it. Mm-hmm. I, I just started. No meaning. one here is advocating for abortion. No, you just started meaning meaningful yeah. discourse, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, we we have some of those. Now we come Thursday, we'll have some more. Okay. <laughs> okay. Denny, 